Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I'm so glad that you are here. I am Rick Thomas, and thank you for jumping on this podcast. Do me a quick favor. Would you share it, please? And and that would be just wonderful. This is episode 227. I'm going to talk about the painful problem of letting go of something you love. All of us love something, and more than likely, you love many things. In fact, I know you do. And you know that nothing lasts forever except for God, His Word, our souls. Loving people, places, things, that's normal. It's healthy. Not to love anything is abnormal, unhealthy, and, and quite frankly, it's dangerous. But the painful problem is letting go of those things that you love. You can't control them. And so in this podcast, here's the key idea that I I want to get across to you. Letting go happens to all of us. And how we respond to those things, those horrible events in our lives, it reveals who we are and how we relate to God. If you would like to read this podcast, I would love for you to do it. I have show notes on our website, rickthomas.net. Look for episode 227. 227 is titled, The uh, The Painful Problem of Letting Go of Something That You Love. And you're welcome to read this podcast. I will warn you, though, the podcast, the notes, I mean, are there are twenty five hundred words. It it was it was something that I've been thinking about a for a long time now. I've been meditating on this idea, which is how I normally do. And again, as you know, my my articles or my personal devotions is how I assess myself, is how I think about God, life, and others. And it's just helpful for me to write these things down. And so these notes they are nor they're about 500 words longer than normal also these notes are my sermon notes from a message that my pastor gave on revelation 18 and you can find the message of our uh, of this message you can find this message from our pastor on our sermon page and i have a link here in the show notes and you can click on it and go out and listen to that message here's the thing I have a friend, and I told her two weeks ago that that I have this, this topic for a Life Over Coffee podcast. I've been meditating on it for a long time now, and I, I was getting ready to do it. I was going to do it today, and then my pastor did this. He, he does this occasionally. He, he interrupts my workflow by preaching an outstanding message, and, and then I start musing on it, and I have to write it out because it's hot, and it coincides with something that I had been—another thing that I have been thinking about for a while. And that happened last week as well, episode 226. I had that podcast ready, the one that I wanted to do, and I was getting ready to write it out, and then he did it again. He he preached a stellar message, and so I I set aside this thing I've been meditating on, and I, I wrote that one out, and that's episode 226. So this week I was ready to go, and, and doggone, he did it again. 
And so the option here is for him to preach lousy sermons so that I can focus on what I want to focus on, or I'll just keep being interrupted. And so I'm going to take this as as a sign from heaven that the Lord wants me to write on this subject, because I have been thinking about it for a while, and as sovereign luck would have it, this that I have been thinking about, he preached a sermon that coincides with what I've been thinking about, so I couldn't let this go. I hope next week, this other thing that I've been thinking about, I can do a episode on that, but we'll see. Maybe my pastor will preach a lousy sermon next week, and I can get back to my, my normal flow of thoughts. Again, if you want to read this, episode 227, The Painful Problem of Letting Go of Something You Love. Some folks lose a loved one or something else, and they can reorient and spring back into the normal and expected Christian life. Good for them. But then there are other people, they take a long time to recuperate from the loss. I have been in this this camp. This is my demo here. And then some carry bitterness and anger and hurt in their lives for decades. I haven't done that, but I have interacted with many people who have. And so in this episode, I'm going to address those who, who take months and maybe years to recover from their loss. But here, here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear an artificial timeline that says, you must be over this loss at such and such time. Don't hear that. I'm not saying that. I, I'm not going to present that argument to you, and you, you should not do that to yourself. You don't present that argument to yourself. Don't put an artificial timeline out there that says you must get over this by such and such time. But with that said, if the blue funk of loss continues to linger for more than six months and into a year, you must find help because something is wrong there will not be a day where you will magically snap out of it, but there has to be a gradual change from bad to good to great in your life. If you're consistently flatlining in sorrow, despair, discouragement, or even bitterness and anger for what has happened to you, then you've got to find help. And so let me repeat, do not put artificial pressure on yourself, but please soberly assess yourself where you are. And so with that in mind, here is an excellent assessment question to think about as you move further into this podcast. Here it is. Would you characterize yourself more of a flatliner, that you're really not changing incrementally, you, you just... The way you were at the day of the loss is pretty much where you are now, six months or a year later. Or would you characterize yourself who is incrementally changing even if you are taking baby steps? That's where you need to be. That's where you must be. Now, another error in judgment when you are talking about loss is that my listeners, some of my listeners could they could make this, and that's comparing apples to oranges. Uh, 
You see, there are many types of loves. There are things that, that you lose, and nearly anyone would rebound quickly from it. Like trading in a sentimental vehicle for a newer one could be hard for a child and maybe hard for some adults. I remember that as a child. My dad traded in a vehicle, and I had a sentimental attachment to it, and it was hard. But you can rebound more quickly from that. Moving to another home is on the smaller end of this loss problem that I am addressing here. But moving to a new town and a new school and a new church, that is much more challenging. The loss is greater and more challenging to overcome. Then there are more significant losses that usually include death or disease or divorce. Losing a spouse or a child ranks at the top end of heartbreak. It is hard to fathom the pain and sorrow of letting go of a person that you love. But even every death is not the same. You may weep with those who weep over the loss of their loved one, but when it happens to you, it's more profound sorrow. But there is also a danger of comparing yourself to others who have an equitable loss. One spouse who lost a spouse will grieve longer and, and different from another spouse who lost theirs. There are reasons for this difference in the length of a grieving period. Perhaps one spouse could, could find their identity more in being married while the other is, is no less spiritual but has not permitted marriage to manage them in such a way. Perhaps a person's, with the, uh, person's walk with the Lord, like an older mature Christian, re reduces the vacillations of emotion when they lose a loved one. The key idea is not to compare the loss with someone's different loss and don't compare the two ways people grieve when they have similar things happening to them. And so don't set artificial timelines to get over it. Don't compare your loss with a different loss and don't compare your loss with someone who is going through similar things. The fundamental idea that I want you to examine in this podcast is the idea of glory. That's where I'm going to focus now. Now, let me explain. And I really want you to grasp this. There are two types of glory. There is self-glory and there is God-glory. I'm not primarily speaking of you giving God the glory when you, lead, when you lose something, though you must get to that point. That is too simplistic counsel. That's like saying, trust God, or all things work together for good. That sounds like nonsense and, 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 and sometimes even hurtful when people say that too early or give God the glory. No, if you have experienced significant loss, you're probably not going to be able to do that initially. And so as, as I talk about this idea of glory, initially I'm not primarily speaking of you giving God the glory, though, yes, I do want you to get there eventually, but first I want you to think about how your response to your loss 
reveals the kind of glory that you currently possess when you lose something. It's either self-glory or God-glory. Giving glory to God is the right answer. But before you do that, you do have to examine the type of glory that controls you right now today. Peter, Peter Hubbard, the, our pastor who preached this, these sermon notes, these are my sermon notes, his, his sermon will be a little bit different, but who preached the sermon, he said this, when the pressures rise priorities shine. Think about that just for a moment. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. When the pressures rise, what you prioritize the most is going to shine the most. And so I want you to think about what a disappointment reveals about the state of your soul, specifically how you think about God. Now, yes, you must come to the place of giving God glory, but you won't do that magically. If you have not recovered from the loss in a reasonable amount of time, you have to start by asking another question. You have to ask the why question first. Why am I this way? You don't begin by asking the what question, what you must do, what must I do in response to my loss? What you must do is you must give God the glory but before that, you have to ask the why question. Why am I the way that I am? When the pressures rise, my, my self-glory priority is shining now. And so here's the process. It's three steps. Step one, why can't you give glory to God and become free from the blue funk of loss? Therefore, identifying what to put off. Per Ephesians 4.22 is where you want to begin. You remember Ephesians 4.22, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Very direct and very clear. So step one, if you're stuck in the blue funk of loss, you have to identify what to put off. And then step two, once you understand what has captured you, what you need to put off, then you can start the renewing the mind process per Ephesians 4.23. The next verse says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then step three, you know what has caught you, you know what to put off, and you're in the process, renewing your mind, you're in the process of putting it off, and you know what to put on, per Ephesians 4.24, and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's where you put on giving glory to God. But you won't do that initially. And so which glory will it be? The first type of glory is the one that focuses more on self. What I want, what I desire, what I hope, what I prefer, and what I find much comfort possessing. Then there is God's glory, which on one level is mysterious, but ultimately satisfying in ways that human pleasures cannot touch. John Piper captured this idea when he said this, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. If that is true, then there is no conflict between your greatest exhilaration and God's greatest glorification. In fact, not only is there no conflict between your happiness and God's glory, 
but his glory shines in your happiness when your happiness is in him. And since God is the source of your greatest happiness, and since he is the greatest treasure in the world, and since his glory is the most satisfying gift he could possibly give us, therefore it is the kindest, most loving thing he could possibly do to reveal himself and magnify himself and vindicate himself for our everlasting enjoyment. That's what it means to give glory to God and to find your greatest satisfaction by doing so. Self-glory illustrated is a person who weeps, but they are continually weeping over their loss. I am not speaking of the immediate loss of something because there is normal human hurt. Let's be reasonable here. You fall down, you cry. You lose something, you cry. We must cry because of the hurtful things that happen to us. But as previously stated, if the weeping lingers for months and years, then self-glory does come into play because the situation the person is weeping over has become part of their identity. It's an idol that makes them feel good. For example, a person should weep over a divorce, but they must not stay in the funk of that disappointment for an extended period. I'm talking about years. I have gone through a divorce, and I know what it's like to grieve for an inordinately long season. Yes, I am guilty, or I was guilty of that. I'm talking about multiple years, but upon reflection, which the rearview mirror does provide us with that kind of clarity, I can give you a list of idols that had captured me during that season, all of which point for, to my desire for self-glory. I'm going to give you a list of my worship, my idol factory back then as I reflect on why I stayed in the blue funk of, of divorce for so long. Here's a list of my idols. One was comfort. I didn't want to be alone. That's a normal desire, by the way, but when it, when it becomes controlling to where you're grieving all the time, then it's an idol. And so comfort became an idol. Number two, identity. I enjoyed folks knowing me as a married person versus being a single person. Number three, fear. I did not want my fundamentalist brothers to kick me out of the ministry. Now, eventually they did because they have a, or this group had a one strike, you're out clause. And so if you're divorced, you're disqualified from doing ministry other than passing out Bible tracts. And so I, I struggle with the idol of fear. Number four, reputation. I did not want to carry the stigma of being a failure at marriage. It was hard to say. It has been hard historically to say that I am divorced because of the, the prejudice that is against, especially within Christianity, against divorced people. And so I struggled with the idol of comfort, the idol of identity, the idol of fear, the idol of reputation, two more, the idol of arrogance. My subtle smugness as a married man put out an air of having it all together. And then finally, the idol of control. Being a spouse was more manageable. It was more comfortable than being single. It goes back to having it all together. I like control. 
I'm sure if I spent more time thinking about this, I would realize a few more idolatries tucked in the darker recesses of my heart, but you get my point. The question for you is, if you're in the funk of loss, will you do the hard heart work to examine how you might be pirating God's glory? God's glory is about God, where self-glory is, well, it's about self. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This type of glory returns glory to its rightful owner. Rather than trying to pirate glory for yourself, you know it's wise and prudent to give glory to God. You understand that your ultimate satisfaction will come when the Lord is most glorified. It's no longer about your image, your preferred outcomes, or a customized world of your own making. Think about how untenable those three things are, your image, your preferred outcome, or a customized world. Nobody has total control of their lives, and it's impossible to live in a customized world that hits all the beats of your preferences. Our world is fallen, and so are we. Life and death are not in our hands or under our jurisdiction. The illogicalness of what I just said is worse than that. If Things of this world are your most significant source of satisfaction and happiness. You will always live on the edge because you know the possibility of the impossibility of maintaining those outcomes. Perhaps you have become comfortable being the master of your destiny. Thus, you don't realize, because you become comfortable, the lack of peace in your soul is the frog slow boiling in the kettle. The little amphibian never perceives how how something is cooking him to death. Sometimes we slow boil in our pots of idolatries, and then when we lose that thing, it's devastating. The devastation and extended recovery time will be proportional to the grip the self-glory idol has on your soul. As uh, Peter said, Peter Hubbard said, as as pressures rise, pre- what did he say? Uh, as pressures rise, I'm going to roll back up here to my my quote because it was so good. As as pressures, I don't know where it is, but as pressures rise, priorities become more significant. I just totally messed that up, but but you got the point. You don't want to be a slow boiling frog in the kettle. If you do and don't realize it, then there's not peace, and you're always trying to control, and you don't really realize the power that self-glory has over your soul. Did you know that there is glory all around us and in us? It's true. Our jobs are to assist and cooperate with the Lord in repossessing that glory and giving it back to Him, the rightful owner. You could say that Christians are in the repo business. And you start with yourself, making sure you aren't hoarding a bit of it for your pleasure. The Christian objective is to position ourselves to where we can revel in the rightness of God's justice, not become angry or cynical when things don't go right for us. 
Justice for the sin that has interrupted your life is not yours to determine or fixate. You see the worst version of justice when the victim of evil becomes angry with God for what he did, as they say. The temptation is to seek out personal justice for the wrongs that happen to you rather than entrusting yourself to God to do right for what has happened to you. I'm talking about self-glory here. It will extend your weeping beyond what is healthy for humans, and your temptation will be anger, whether it's toward those who try to help you, which happens many times when you try to help people like this, or those who have hurt you, or even God, if you think he's the culprit. And by the way, I did go through that season where I did have to admit that I was angry at God because justice was not happening in my life. I had been treated poorly. I was a victim. I was treated unfairly. As hard as it is, the right answer is to practice giving glory to God in all things. Now, this part is what I mentioned earlier and though you don't start here, you must get to this point. You must put on as you are putting off and renewing your mind. Though it's simultaneous action, there is a sequence. Here's what I want you to put on. The only blessing that will satisfy you is when God receives maximum glory and you are continually giving it to him. This is what Piper was talking about earlier. The temptation is always the glory robber syndrome. But rather than being overly needed, which motivates glory taking, you want to be a glory giver. Jonathan Edwards talked about the subtleties of self-glory when he made a distinction between common virtue and authentic virtue. Common virtue is a learned behavior that fear and pride drive, meaning we know how to act like good Christians while enjoying the benefits of our idols. We can live in that dualistic world Put on the persona of a believer because we have learned, this is common virtue, because we have learned how to behave in good ways, but yet we can still hold on to our idols. An example of this is when a person learns how to behave like a Christian in church and public, but it's not authentic. It's a learned behavior. And folks are shocked when he goes off the rails later in life when something horrific happens to him. He had more common virtue than authentic virtue or Christian virtue. The virtue he had was common to man, which is good behavior and good words that anyone learns by reading good books and associating with good people. They want the good habits, but something is wrong inside of them. True virtue is spirit-infused, spirit-transformed, it transcends natural or common virtue. It's a person who weeps when bad things happen to them, but he rises seven times, as Proverbs 24 says, because he's not holding on to those things too tightly. He knows 
how to give glory to God. There's a man in the Bible you're familiar with, and, and this is how he, or this is how it was said of him when he lost the things dearest to him. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And you can read that in Job chapter 1, the last uh, three verses of, of that chapter. The book, Suffering Well is my autobiographical journey through the book of Job as I wrestled through the grief and pain of my divorce. I recommend that you read this book. You will be glad that you did because it also is another angle on this idea of ongoing suffering that we just can't seem or uh, suffering of loss that we just can't seem to get over. This is episode 227, The Painful Problem of Letting Go of Something That You Love. Please check out all of these show notes here. This is a 2,500-plus word article. You can read it as well, and there are a ton of embedded links here. Now, at the bottom, I also have some links to our forums. We have free forums where anyone in the world with access to the Internet can go and ask questions. We also have private forums for those who support our ministry financially. And so you can hit these links, and we would love to serve you. But please take the time and go through this call to action. I have some good, uh, insightful, and pinpoint questions that will help you to continue to process what you have just heard. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.